was that worship? I have a very um, practical message for you today, very practical, and so I feel like we need to maybe end with some of that amazing worship again, so I'm hoping um, that you'll stick with me through this. But anyway, we've been doing a series called Keeping Company with Jesus, and we've had lots of amazing words. Emily spoke this morning about uh, keeping company with each other and the strength in numbers, and you know she talked about lions and porcupines and a whole bunch of other animals and if you weren't here it doesn't make any sense but it was great it was a good word Uh, no unfortunately minor technical glitch this morning Um, but um, I lost my train of thought Steve spoke about Enoch about what a man of faith Enoch was and there isn't very much written about Enoch in the Bible But if you care to read 150-odd pages, what I can tell you is that there is something called the Book of Enoch, which talks about the life of Enoch. And so when they reference Enoch in the Bible, you will learn that Enoch was a man who actually went to heaven and fought demons and talked to angels. That's why he was called a man of God, a great man of God, faith. Anyway, so... I want to talk to you about something that is incredibly important in relation to keeping company with God. And in fact, you can't keep company with God if you're, you can't keep company with God well if you're not doing this part of it, and that is reading your Bible. And so today, very practically, I want to talk to you all about how you can get the most out of reading your Bible. We as you all know, live in the age of information. I don't have my phone with me. I feel naked without it. But you all have phones or tablets. You know, we we live in this amazing age of information where if you want to Google something, you can get your phone out and you can find the answer in seconds. And you don't have to work very hard to find scriptures. I know for myself when when I'm thinking um, or when a scripture pops into my head, I'll just type in a few words of what I can remember of that scripture and it comes up with all the references in the Bible of where that goes and then I can just go straight to that and I can read it and it's amazing. And that has changed the world in so many different ways. We talk about digital literacy is the new important thing, not only for young people but for uh, prime time pop-ups, whatever it's called. I made a joke about the old, the prime time this morning, which I won't repeat, but I made myself laugh a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, in a funny mood today. Don't you feel like there's just a, a sense in the room today, tonight? It's just a, you know, it's just a presence, a happy presence. And I normally cry up here at some point, so I'm hoping not to cry tonight. <laughs> it's a roller coaster of emotions. Try living with me. It's, that's right. Anyway, there's this famous saying that says, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Has anyone ever heard that before? Well, that is, that is what I have um, been feeling about the Bible and what I, I think our, our culture and as Christians, that is one of the issues that I think we face in today's 
world, we're so flooded with information. There are so many different versions and interpretations of the Bible. You've got the NIV, the NSV, the NKJV, the NKV, the ENT. That might be an ear, nose and throat specialist. I don't know if that's a translation, that message. There's over 20 major translations. And on top of that, there are probably hundreds of other translations. And while all of those things are great for us, it can make it difficult to find God in all of that. I hadn't written this in my notes, but I really felt to share this because um, I know that this is something for us as Christians that we get questioned about quite often, and that is whether or not the Bible is real. You know, people criticise the Bible and say that the Bible's been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and it's not even the Bible anymore. And how would you know what was written 2,000 years ago is still the same today? And I just want to say two things on that. Firstly, there is a, there's a formula for, uh, for verifying manuscripts, old manuscripts, and there's these, these things that they go through. What I can tell you is that the Bible, the the New Testament, has over 5,000 recorded original transcripts in in history that we know of, over 5,000 of them. Other books would be lucky to have the hundreds, and we revere those, like um, writings from Plato or Socrates. We have over 5,000 New Testament, and they can verify that they were all written within 100 years of the death of Jesus. Now, what that tells you is that what is written in the Bible, right, believe what you want about the inspiration of it, the words that are written on the page of the Bible are actual first-hand accounts of the people who wrote them. Those translations have been poured over by scholars and very, very intelligent people to make sure that what we read today is, is an exact representation of what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible. And there are over 5,000. Old Testament, there's over 10,000. Because in Jewish culture, they had their scrolls that they would read in churches. So every, every synagogue would have this, this treasured you know, scroll that they would read through. The Dead Sea Scrolls, I'm sure you've all heard of them. There were hundreds of scrolls found, not all of them biblical. I can't remember the exact number. I think about 250 of them were found about 200 of those were biblical. They found a whole scroll of Isaiah tucked away in this cave. Original text. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I wanted to talk to you today, apart from the fact that I think it's very important to point out that firstly, the Bible is not only the truth of God, but it is the truth. Someone wrote these down believing in everything that they said. Just like we would write a letter to someone today, this is the, is the truth of the person who wrote it. The other thing is, is that we do believe that the Bible was inspired by God, but there are faults in the Bible. And anyone who says to you that, well, the Bible can't be true because there are faults in it, like in the New Testament, Paul references a battle where 23,000 died, but then in the Old Testament, the reference says that 24,000 died. Is Paul a liar? No. Did he get it wrong? Yes. Does it make the Bible untrue? No. Because ultimately, the Bible exists for us to discover the heart of God. 
It's the, it is the truth that we find in our life. It is not important some of those minor technicalities and minor faults that are in the Bible. If you want to find fault in anything, you can do that. But it doesn't ruin the credibility of what we've got here today because ultimately what this book does, this book right here, shines a light on the love of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And we can have full faith that what is written in that is your truth. And the truth is that God sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life forever and ever. Amen. The Bible is complex. It, it can be a difficult book to read. But what I want to do today is hopefully give you just four things that have helped me get more and more out of the Bible every time I read it. And you know, all those songs that we sang, all of them have Bible references. I don't know if you know this, but the third song we sang was written by this amazing young man here in the terrible shirt. No, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking. I always... I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, the bridge of that song comes from where, Jack? Psalm 40, verse 3. You can read that in this song. The other songs that we sing all have Bible references. And it is so important for us to not just read the Bible as a book, but to read it as an inspirational book of knowledge of who God is and his heart. And I don't have time to go through the whole, you know, way the Bible is written and all that kind of stuff. But just very simply put, if you read your Bible, you can't go wrong. Anywhere, doesn't matter. You don't have to read it from front to back. You don't have to even read whole, you know, whole books within the book. I will say, just as a side note of information for you, the only book that really in the New Testament that you might get confused about if you pick it up halfway through is Romans because Romans was actually written as a letter from front to from top to bottom. If you pick it up in 8, it talks about how sin or grace abounds and should we does that mean we should sin more? Well, they might be weird questions if you hadn't read the chapter before. Anyway, I'm going to pray. I feel like I need to pray. I feel hot up here, by the way. I think it's this heater. <laughs> can, can, that, that, Lauren, would you mind turning the heater off? There's a um, remote just there. We believe in you, Lauren. Is it? Maybe we can turn those fans off. Sure. Yep. My pleasure. All right, I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that your word gives us life and truth and knowledge. And I just pray that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Bless us tonight. Bless our fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I have a scripture for you. Amos 8, 11, 12. It says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine for food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Moment of honesty 
from us. I'm not going to take names or anything here. Has anybody ever felt like this before, where they have searched for the word of the Lord, but they cannot seem to find what they are looking for? Anyone ever picked up their Bible and felt empty after reading it? Anyone? Great. Well, it's not great. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) So I don't know where this is going tonight. Anyway, sometimes, particularly in today's age where we are so flooded with information and different things about the Bible, sometimes it is very difficult. And not only that, and I'm not being critical of, of us as a, as a culture, but 30 years ago or 40 years ago when people didn't have Google, it happened, kids. There was a time when Google didn't exist. If you wanted to know if you remembered something, you know, a scripture, and you wanted to read it, you had to actually go to your physical Bible, and you had to find it. You, didn't, you weren't able to just type in a few words. You actually had to pour through it and read and find. So our, our biblical literacy, as opposed to digital literacy, is plummeting through the floor because of the ease of technology. And that I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that our knowledge of the Bible is decreasing at rapid rates because it is so easy for us to be able to just pick up a phone and find what we're looking for without having to really, really look for it. And I think that this scripture, this is in the Old Testament, Amos. This is one of the prophets, minor prophet, just so you know. Getting a bit of a Bible lesson here tonight. This is a prophecy to us as Christians, not just at the time when this was written, but for all generations to come. And, and this is so true. We, we are, there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord because out there in society, I'm, I'm not agreeing with it or disagreeing with it, right? But there is a magazine at the back there that has Israel Folau on it. It's a Christian magazine. If you're not up with the story, Google it. It'll tell you. But Israel Folau posted a comment about... Uh, about drunkenness and, you know, all these other sins, warning that people were going to go to hell. And that was, a, that was a direct quote out of the Bible, and he's just lost his job because he shared that on social media. Now, I'm not saying I agree with his method, but you actually can't walk out of these doors and hear the word of the Lord anymore because of fear of, of losing your job or being criticised. We actually cannot hear the word of the Lord, unless it's just the fluffy and nice stuff. And even that gets turned against us because we're called hypocrites. There's a lot of good reasons for all of that. I'm not here to debate that. But I'm just saying we are in a time in our history where there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And people are seeking it. And we seek it in all kinds of different places. And let me tell you, as good as Google is, it can also be a trap. Because there are some crazy, I don't need to tell you, there's some crazy things on the internet. Crazy ideas. Anybody can post anything and all of a sudden because it's in there, it becomes a truth. So we as Christians, we do have to be careful about what we're doing and what we're reading and how we're approaching that. Um, And it all comes back to spending time and keeping company with God. So I've got some tips that have helped me. Tip number one, pray before you read. Now, I know this sounds really obvious, and I'm sure that all of you do. 
um, before you read. But I have found for myself that whenever I sit down to read the Bible, I always pray and ask God to, to speak to me through the Word. That the, These words that I'm about to read are not actually just words, but these are life-giving, spirit-filling words of encouragement or, uh, or rebuke or whatever the case may be. I just want God to speak to me through this Word. And sure, I know that God can do that without us praying, but I think there's a really significant part for us when we pray and sit down and say, okay, God, I'm setting aside this time for you to keep company with you. Please speak to me. My heart is open. And there's this great uh, quote from John Wesley that says, all scripture is inspired of God. The spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires, supernaturally assists those that read it with earnest prayer. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, tra- and training in righteousness so that so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Imagine if every time you sat down to read the Bible, you asked God to teach you, to rebuke you, correct you or train you into righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. It's, a, it's challenging because I can tell you that in the Bible, as I'm sure all of you know, it, it isn't all just about, you know, lovey-dovey stuff. There are challenges in there. There is things that God requires of us that we, we seek ourselves and review our own lives. And that can be very difficult. But if, we're, if we are genuinely asking God to speak to us, to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, to train us into righteousness, then we can be equipped for every good work. Who wants to be equipped for every good work? Amen. Amen. That's number two. I mean, number one. <laughs> number two is get the context. Now, context is incredibly important. Now, I can stand here today and tell you all how much I love my wife because she's amazing, but you all know that. Yes, they're related. She has to. He's also related. He has to as well. She's related. He's related. (laughs) Any other relatives here? Related, related, related. (laughs) Related. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Not a joke. Actually related, just so you know. (laughs) All came out of this amazing woman. What was that? Yeah. (laughs) I'd encourage you to speak to Jackie afterwards about that if you want to know more about that. (laughs) But anyway, yes, yes, they are all related. This amazing woman and that amazing man over there, mother and father, 16 kids. Great job. I think we should give them a round of applause, actually. Anyway. (laughs) Context, as I was saying. Now, you... Um, it's obvious that I love my wife. 
But the context of that love is that over the past 12-odd years, that we have been through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And we stand here today as husband and wife, hopefully that we love each other. I know I love her. <laughs> but that's the context. It, it hasn't just... It, I, don't, I don't just love her because, because I just decided to. I mean, that was the beginning of it. But I love her as a choice through context of the last 12 years of highs and lows and everything in between of sharing life together and still being here every single day saying we make a choice to, to keep company with each other. You know, in reading the Bible... There's two books, um, especially in the New Testament, Galatians and um, Corinthians. Now, when you read those two books, they are very different. You know, the, the, the book to the Galatians is all about grace and, you know, justification through faith, not through works. But then the book to the Corinthians is the complete opposite. It's all about uh, immorality and sin and a whole bunch of crazy stuff. I'd encourage you to read Corinthians because it's you can get a picture of, you know, of what that um, church is all about. But the the reason the context is important is because when you read the book of um, of Galatians, you will understand that the message is around the grace of God through justification, which is our salvation, or salvation through faith, not through works. And in the Galatian church, they were very heavy on the Jewish concept of faith. Uh, salvation through works and Paul was writing to them saying actually you're wrong about that salvation comes through faith not by works so he was rebuking them the the uh, Corinthians on the other hand with all of their immorality and infighting and suing each other and all kinds of different things he was saying to them actually if you are going to call yourself a Christian you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be doing this and there's a whole range of other things you should read it. It's great. But the, the point is, Paul didn't just write letters to all these churches just because he felt like it. Right? There's a message in there for all of us. And understanding that context can help you make it relevant to your life and what you're going through. Because even though those letters were written 2,000 years ago, the, the context of them are still relevant for us today. And we can understand them a lot better if we understand the context. Now, you might wonder how I know that information because God didn't reveal that to me um, by a miracle. I have read things. I have done a little bit of study. But I want to share with you a tip, a tool that I use that is so simple and free that it's almost embarrassing to share it with you because in some ways I want you to think that I'm amazing. I don't want you to think I've just looked at a website. <laughs> this is a website called Bible Hub. Anyone ever seen this before? Bible Hub is an amazing resource that is free for you to use. Now, this is the book of Galatians, obviously. You can see up the top there, uh, you know, there's the book, the chapter, the version. They've got commentaries. You can read it in different languages. All of those three-letter things, they're all different translations that you can read. 
underneath it. You can read parallel texts. You can read sermons. You can read topical information. Strong's is Strong's Concordance. There's commentary. There's interlinear Bible. There's the Greek Bible. There's a lexicon which shows you. I'm going to show you in a minute, actually. And then there's multi, which is a uh, multi-verse thing that you can read side by side. This is all for free, right? All you need to know is what you want to read, and you can put it in here. Underneath here, where I've got that one circled, BBB stands for Bible Book Summary. I don't know why it's not BBS. Big baller brand. (laughs) BBB. Anyway, Bible Book Summary. Now, if you go into any book of the Bible on here and click on that BBB, it will give you this, which is Wilmington's Bible at a Glance. It's amazing. Now, when I talk about context, all that stuff I just told you about uh, Galatians is written here. Galatians at a glance. This book is Scripture's greatest defense on the subject of justification by faith, written to counteract the grievous heresy of the Jewish legalizers who were tracking salvation by works. Paul argues his case from personal experience, the life of Abraham, and the law itself. Now, That's what I just told you about Galatians, right? 100% honesty. I read that before preparing for this. I mean, I had some idea of what the book of Galatians was about, but when I knew I had to explain it to you, this is what I read. And more than that, there's a whole long list of different things here on the book of Galatians that you can avail yourself of free of charge. There is also a phone app as well, Bible Hub. It was me translating. Okay, guys, gather around, everyone. <laughs> this is Damien's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Damien's Bible at a glance. Galatians, all those legalizers. Anyway, it, it even says, <laughs> Larissa's laughing because this is what I do at home, actually. I get all the kids around, I get Larissa around. Anyway, no, I don't really. Bottom line introduction in capital letters. And I will warn you, I find some of these quite funny. The imperative, warning, do not mix under any circumstances these ingredients, the law of God and the grace of God. Now, honestly, I mean, it is funny because it's in capitals. (laughs) But but that that is the truth of this book, right? This is what Paul is saying. You don't mix the grace of God with the law of God. It's like oil and water. Book of Galatians. I wish I'd just done this for the rest of the books, actually. That would have been better. Anyway, for me, maybe not for you. That's BBB, right? There's only two things I want to encourage you, but get onto this website, look through all these different things, explore it. It's amazing. Okay, you will see also, this thing has a pointer, so I'm going to use it. See here? See that letter, number one, that number, number one, how it's blue? Anything that's blue, generally you can click on it. Now, if you click on that, it'll take you to that scripture, which I'm going to show you in a second. But I used that scripture earlier about 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, lexicon, right? I'm I'm going to show you what a lexicon is. This is a lexicon. Very technical term, but it's very simple. Now, this is the lexicon for the verse 
2 Timothy 3.16. Now you'll see over on the very left, NASB stands for New American Standard Bible. It's just another version of the Bible. You have the Greek, then you've got the Strong's Concordance number. If you were going to be doing this physically in the Strong's Concordance book, you would need to know the number. Now you don't need to do that because it's all written here for you. And then you've got the origin of the word. Now, moment of honesty again. Quite often, I will use Greek uh, translations when I'm reading or, you know, when I'm speaking up here, I'll give you the Greek word, uh, all those sorts of things. This is where I get it from. I have not studied biblical Greek. I don't know the Greek version of the Bible. What I do know how to use is Bible Hub. And if I can do it, you can too. So, yeah. Did I mention I own Bible Hub? No, I don't really know. I don't have any shares in Bible Hub. It is, it, it's just, this is just an amazing resource. Now, this is the lexicon in itself, as if that wasn't amazing enough. I just picked out the word correction because that can be a bit of a prickly word for people. People don't, we don't like to be corrected, but that scripture said, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof or rebuking uh, or for correction and the rest of it is under there. But Strong's Concordance number 1882, you can click on that and it will take you to this screen. Now this is a word study on that one word correction. Now, there's the, on the uh, right-hand side, uh, left-hand side, sorry, you've got the original word in Greek. I can't read that. You've got part of the speech. It's a noun and it's from the feminine part. I don't really know what that means either. Transliteration. Anyone have a go at saying that? (laughs) No, the Greek one. Anyway, you can't, it, it even has the the phonetic spelling, and if you don't know what phonetic is, it's spelled out how you say it, epanorthosis, let's all, let's all say it at once, epanorthosis, you're all biblical scholars now, you all know biblical Greek, epanorthosis, definition, correction, which is what the word is, but the usage is correction, reformation, setting straight, right again. Now, what I find incredibly helpful is this help word studies underneath. Helps is another brand like Strong's word studies. It says that it comes from two different words, from epi and onotho, which means epi means on or fitting, and the other one means make straight. So this word, correction, says properly, suitable because straight, i.e. restored to its original proper condition. Hence, correction, referring to something that aptly has been straightened out. The word correction in 2 Timothy 3.16 actually means that something was not straight and has now been put straight. Right? Correction is not about being told off. And having someone wave their finger at you, the word correction, epanathosis, is to literally set someone straight, which is where we get that term from, set them straight or set them on the right path. Everyone got that? 
free. I love that this is so interactive tonight. This is so good. Thank you very much. It's not me. Bubble up. I am enjoying it. It's better than crying up here, that's for sure. So, get the context. Bible Hub. It couldn't be more simple. www.biblehub.com. Get, yep, get the phone app. Delve into it. Okay, point number three. If something jumps out at you, stop. Just stop. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've been reading the Bible and something just does not make sense. Or it just stops me. Or I have a revelation. Or something just hits me in my heart and I know that God is speaking to me. I can't tell you the amount of times that when I've been reading something in the Bible, something in me just grips my heart. In, in either good ways or bad ways. Sometimes that gripping of my heart makes me feel like God himself is just giving me the biggest hug and a kiss on my cheek and is just loving on me so much. Other times it feels like I'm sitting in the principal's office or you're sitting with your parents and they've said, you shouldn't be doing that. And it changes who you are. It's transformational. So quite often we follow these Bible reading plans and we've got one at church, which is great, and you think, I didn't read yesterday or the day before and I really need to get through this because I don't want to fall behind. So you just start speed reading. Just read, 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 read so that you can keep up with your Bible plan. Or I don't know about you guys, but if you get those annoying messages on your phone when you've signed up to a a Bible plan, you know, you do like a devotional and it's like a seven-day devotional and you've read one day out of seven and for the next three weeks, it keeps reminding you every day, hey, you didn't read day number two. Sometimes we have a tendency to just get through it because we want to get through it. Now, let me tell you, the Bible is not going anywhere. And neither are you probably in the short term, right? So just take your time. You don't actually have to read the entire Bible. I know of people that have had their lives changed dramatically by reading one chapter or one verse. There's no rush. It's not a race. Sometimes we do fall into the habit of standing up here and saying, you know, who's read the whole Bible? And, you know, five or six people put their hand up and maybe a few others put their hand up because they feel like you should read the whole Bible. I know there's a book called Habakkuk in there. I'm not sure that I've read it. Again, just being honest with you guys. I'm not sure I've read every single book of the Bible. But when I do read it, I make sure that I take my time. And when something pops out at me, I stop. And I go through step number two, which is get the context. I'll give you... No, I won't give you an example. It's not important. That John Wesley quote that I showed you before, all scripture is inspired by God. The Spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires and supernaturally assists. That means you. 
God is continually inspiring us and supernaturally assisting us to get more out of our Bibles, to learn more about him, to have our lives transformed. And you know, Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I'm pretty simple. And I want... I want understanding. I do want understanding. I don't just want to accept it because that's what we do as Christians. I want to ask questions. I want to know the truth. I don't want to just accept what is common knowledge. I want to know that for myself. And you know, the awesome thing that I was thinking about when I read this scripture about unfolding, the unfolding of your words gives light. My girls, every so often, they love drawing and every so often they'll draw me a picture and they'll fold it up like it's in a little envelope and they'll come and give it to me. And they'll say, Daddy, I drew your picture. And, I, you know, I know I'm very excited about it. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to open it. And, you know, <laughs> I'd be, I'm more enthusiastic than that. But anyway, I'll open it up. Sometimes I know exactly what they've drawn. You know, it's me or it's Larissa or it's a house or a bird or something like that. And I'll say, that is an amazing picture of me. And they'll get full of pride because I know what they've drawn. Other times they open it and I'll go, that's an amazing picture of me. And they'll say, actually, that's mummy. (laughs) Oops. That's what I meant to say. And other times, because I don't want to hurt their feelings, other times I open it and go, that's amazing. What is it? Because I have no idea. And they sit with me and explain to me exactly what what they've drawn. Now... It is abstract, right? Maddie's four, she's getting better. But it's abstract. But when she sits with me and explains to me what she has drawn, it all becomes clear. I can see it, just like it's a Picasso. The unfolding of your words gives light, just like the unfolding of a picture when someone explains it to you. That's what I feel God wants to do with us when we read our Bibles, is he wants us to just sit and go, what is it? And then he can sit and explain to us. And if it's still not clear, go back to step two. Go back to step one. Pray about it. Read about it. Sometimes you've just got to put it on the shelf and come back to it. I will tell you, just very briefly, in the Old Testament, there's this guy called Barzillai. And Barzillai helped King David... Um, when he was um, being persecuted. And anyway, uh, David, uh, Barzillai's not an Israelite. He's a, you know, a, whatever. He's not an Israelite. Anyway, it's not important. He's not Jewish, but he helps, he helps King David to get saved. So, so King David looks after him and he wants to, you know, love on him and take care of him. And Barzillai has a son who um, I think um, has a, a crippled leg or something. Anyway, um, they, they have, um, David has to go back to his home country and he says, let me take you with me. And he says, no, I'm old. And, and um, he says, well, okay, take my son. And so he takes his son and he loves on him and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, great story. That's, that's, there's only that mention of Barzillai in there. In other books, like Nehemiah, when after they've been through the Babylonian captivity and then they come back to the motherland, There's a list in Nehemiah, I think it's Nehemiah 8. Anyway, there's a list of all these people 
Now, back before, King David had this guy, Barzillai, eating at his table and eating all of the king's best. Now, you can imagine what that's like, right? Generations later, in Nehemiah, there's a list of all the people that had gone back, and in there is listed Barzillai, son of someone who married the daughter of or a descendant of Barzillai. Now, in that scripture, it says that he, they were not allowed to eat the sanctified food because they couldn't be verified about, they couldn't be verified of who they were. Now, this guy had gone to the captive country. He'd married into this family who were not, who were not Jewish. Anyway, now, the reason I'm telling you this, right, because it sounds, you know, a bit crazy and a bit out there. I don't have the answer for you. I'm just telling you that when that, that scripture about Barzillai, who the second Barzillai, popped out at me, it will not leave me. And I'm really annoyed about it because no matter how much I troll through Bible Hub or I ask people about it, I cannot find the answer that I'm looking for. But I know, I know in my heart that God has put that scripture on my heart for such a time as whatever he sees fit. And I know that God has spoken to many of you in that same sense, probably not the same scripture. If it is, let's chat. So I want to know about it. But God will speak to us through different scriptures and and tattoo them on our hearts so that they never leave us. And that is for a purpose. It's not by accident. Number four, this is the last one. You know, as parents, you sometimes say to your kids, do as I say, not as I do, because we know better. Step number four, do as I say and as I do. Now, that's not me, that's God. I think God is speaking to us, saying, do as I say, do as I say, and do as I do. You're on Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And Chris actually mentioned this earlier. It reminded me of this scripture that you were talking about um, and even the songs about being, you know, in the valleys and the mountains. And Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, point of reference from Bible Hub, I checked it in Strong's Concordance, word is the Greek word logos, which actually means word. You all know that, right? Just so that we all know exactly what we're talking about. Jesus is talking about the word, the Bible. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I don't know about you, but what I do know is that life is not perfect. Life is not all about standing on the mountaintops with God. God, in his infinite wisdom, however he decides to uh, rule the earth, 
does not save us from calamity, does not save us from heartache, does not save us from trials or tribulations or persecution. But Jesus himself tells us that if we put his words into practice, we will be like a house that is built on rock. Who wants to be a house built on rock? Me. All of us do. It's the reason we're here tonight. But the, the difficult thing is that it's not just this scripture, it's all of the scriptures. It's everything that Jesus said. Everything that's written in the Bible. I'm smiling because I can feel the mood of the room change. Because before... It was funny, and it is, but this is not so funny. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to be funny or point it out to anyone because we should rejoice. This is a good message. This is good news. I want to have my house built on rock. I don't want to have everything come crashing down at the sign of the first storm. And we've all been there. All of us have been through storms and we feel like we're laying on the floor, completely washed out, crashed out and shattered. But this is not God's plan for us. Otherwise, He would never have said this. Right? God is not a liar. Jesus was not in the habit of walking around selling false hope to people. This, this is a promise from God that if we hear His words and we do and we read His word and we do, if we put them into practice, we will be like a house built on a foundation of rock that is unshakable no matter what storms come. This scripture says that the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall. So I'm just saying, this is a promise from God. The streams will rise, the winds will blow, and they will beat against our house. But if we keep company with God and get into His Word and pray and get the context and put these words into practice in our life, we will be a house that is built on a foundation of rock. Nothing can take away the peace of God. Many things can come and test us and, and tempt us and lie to us about how we shouldn't have peace. But let me tell you the truth. The peace of God will, will stand against anything that is ever thrown at you, even death. Like the Bible says, even death on a cross, God is faithful. And I get excited when I think about our church and I look at all of you out there. And I'm not standing up here perfect. I need to be doing more of this too. We are all the same. And that is the amazing thing about God is that there is no ceiling. 
but I feel excited when I look at us as a congregation and start to think, what if, what if, what if we all, what if we all believed in the Word of God and put it into practice? What would happen in our lives and in our community? Could you imagine? There have been revivals in history. There could be another revival. We talk about the birth of, um, of the AOG movement, the Sousa Street um, revival happened in 1900-something. You know, it's the birth of Pentecostalism, basically. Thousands and thousands of people were, were drawn to God. Billy Graham held his tent revivals. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people flooding to a tent in the middle of nowhere to hear the Word of God. In a hundred years from now or 200 years from now, they could be talking about the Lefevre Peninsula revival. Not about the poor church. I don't want anyone to think that I'm making this about us as a church, but this is us as a body of Christians, capital C church, all of us. The Lefevre Peninsula revival that sparked amazing, amazing life transformations that turned this impoverished area into an affluent area that saw breakthroughs that saw families restored that saw you know fathers reunited with their with their children mothers reunited with their children breaking the shackles of oppression and poverty and abuse and addiction and mental health issues God is the ultimate in everything. And so I don't want this to be a heavy feeling. I want us to I want us to come and praise and worship and be excited about the possibility of what God can do in all of our lives, individually but as a community of Christians and those who are waiting to hear the word of God. Just like that Bible the verse said in Amos Let's break that famine so that people can hear the Word of God. And the Word of God is that God is life and truth and love and grace and faithfulness and acceptance. So why don't we get the, the band to come up?